According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scripture. We are in Proverbs chapter 11 once again. Proverbs 11, and uh, we've covered, oh, the first nine verses or so. Although I think I failed to go back and add verse 9 to point. Five, so we'll do that here this morning. Maybe I did. Did I? I did not. All right. Well, we'll open in prayer and then we'll add verse 9 to that slide and have some fun with it after that. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking God the Father to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning and the truth of your word, the blessing we have to assemble together. It is a grace blessing, Father. We don't earn this. We don't deserve this. We have no business intruding into your business, except, Father, you you put us there. You you baptized us into union with your Son, and he must be about your father's his Father's business, and here we are. So, Father, I thank you for the, the thrill that it is to study, to show ourselves approved, to learn more about you, to grow. In all these things, Father, it's a, it's a privilege, it's a wonder, it's a joy and a delight. So uh, bless our time again this morning. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, in, uh, in this, let me get my own Bible here to Proverbs chapter 11. So many of these verses come together in different ways. And uh, so uh, we're looking at verse 3 and we're looking at uh, uh, how verses 5 and 6 then follow on to that where we talk about the upright exhibiting integrity. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. And so there's, there's public effects of a personal wisdom. And this is when personal wisdom becomes public wisdom, or when personal folly becomes public folly. In contrast to this, of course, the treacherous exhibit a crookedness which serves to destroy them and everyone around them. See, it's not just their own downfall. And in verse uh, 3 we see this, and we have some follow-ups in verse 5 and verse 6. We also have it in verse 9. And um, the slide has always read this, which serves to destroy them and everyone around them. But um, And I've, I've intended for the longest time to change the slide, because the paper has verse 3b and verse 9. So when you glance down to verse 9, you'll notice this. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. There's the those around him, uh, proximity there. Uh, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. So there's blessing by association, there's cursing by association, there's a benefit that we have to our, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our community, uh, positive benefits and negative uh, detriments, uh, depending upon whether we're living with wisdom or we're, we're living in folly. So anyway, I wanted to highlight that and uh, so you can pencil that in there. Just after verse 3b, do verse 9. All right, then from there, under subpoint d, the immediate parallel to verse 3 is verse 5, where again we have guidance parallel to the smooth way. We followed up on that. We have more parallels that continue in verse 6 and in verse 8. 
So from 3 to 5 to 6 to 8 to 9, we got several of these themes that are all redundantly, uh, repetitively uh, saying essentially the same thing, but with different facets and different emphasis in each one. A great illustration of verse 8 is Haman. I think there's other illustrations as well that uh, if we want to add to it, we can add to it. Uh, but Haman is, uh, is a good illustration there. All right. Then point six, as we move on now, we have uh, uh, verse two that we never had really looked at. I'm sorry, verse four. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And so uh, on this slide, I know we covered this slide because I left off with Job 8 last week. Um, the contrast between earthly wealth and heavenly wealth, uh, you know, the the issues there. The only one that matters, of course, is God's wealth. Uh, U.S. dollars are not going to solve, uh, solve our problems in the spiritual realm, and uh, they're not going to provide eternal life or anything of the sort. So uh, don't... Uh, when you read something like riches uh, do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death, in verse 4, you realize that's a theme that gets repeated a number of times in Proverbs. We already had it in chapter 10. We'll have it again. It's going to come up uh, a few more times before we get to the end of the book of Proverbs, so don't be surprised. <clears throat> Physical death ends every misplaced expectation and hope, at least as far as the wicked is concerned. And that's verse 7. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of strong men perishes. And so you think about what are your expectations and hopes. If they're godly, if they're from the Lord, then they don't end when you die. Your death is the, the greatest of them all. <laughs> okay? uh, in Christ, with the Word of God uh, shaping our thinking, then every expectation and every hope is leading up to that physical death and beyond. Uh, we get to be face-to-face with Jesus Christ. It's the, the greatest of our expectations. It's the greatest of our hopes. And it doesn't stop with our, with our physical death. Uh, for the wicked, though, um, everything they were hoping for, all their expectations, all their dreams, all their grand uh, plans and all of that is over and done with. All frustrated, all coming to nothing in, uh, in that. And this is the idea that's contained within Bildad, the Shuhite's primary message. When you go to Job chapter 8 and you see the lead-off message that Bildad gives, uh, it's, it's essentially this. And so uh, in uh, verses 11 through 19... Did we read the entire thing last week? I think we did. Job chapter 8. Verses 11 through 19. Uh, yes, we looked at all this. And this is what, what happens. And he trusts in his house, but it does not stand. He holds fast to it, but it does not endure. That's verse 15. He thrives before the sun, and the shoots spread out over the garden. His roots wrap around a rock pile. He grasps a house of stones. He, if, it is, if he is removed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I never saw you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the dust others will spring. And uh, what, a, what a tragic ending. You know, what does he have to look forward to? After he's gone, here comes the next guy, <laughs> right? And so uh, there it is. All right, well, now we get to gain some new ground then and uh, take our first looks at verses 10 and 11. I think we're going to take verse 10, 11, and verse 14, all under main point 8 here. Uh, So Proverbs 11, 10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, 
And when the wicked perish, there is shout, uh, joyful shouting. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. By the mouth, uh, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. And then uh, we'll have some other issues here in verses 12 and 13 with uh, gossip and slander and neighbors. We'll let that go until point nine. But uh, glance down to verse 14 then. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. All right, so we have three political verses here that I think uh, ought to go together. Maybe we can separate it out, verse 14 or not. But uh, in any event, uh, looking at verse 11 and verse 12, we have political verses. Quite uh, fun to get here in a political environment such as the election and the post-election aftermath and hangover and everything else that we're presently going through. Um, But the benefit that believers can have towards our city, our state, our nation, uh, the benefit that we can have tangibly, politically, in uh, the culture around us, and uh, how it gets highlighted here, because it's bi-directional. It goes both directions. It's from us to the the government, it's from the government to us, while we want to be in prayer for kings and rulers and those who are in authority, and why we want to benefit kings and rulers and those in authority. We want to be blessings to them, not just praying for them. And the impact we can have as personal wisdom becomes public wisdom, becomes even political wisdom in uh, the governance of a people. So again, verse 10, when it goes well with the righteous. What does that mean, when it goes well with the righteous? I mean, we we have jobs, we're making money, and, and things are going well? Is that what it means? When it goes well with the righteous, when believers are living their walk. So let's look at it here. This is point eight in the outline. Political joy and exaltation comes from the well-being and blessing of the righteous. Political joy and exaltation. The impact that is seen in government. Political joy and exaltation comes from the well-being and blessing of the righteous. And it's Proverbs 11, verse 10, 11, and 14 that we're going to build on in this, in this concept, in this principle. But you'll see the city rejoices. That's political joy. This is a body of people that are gathered together politically. And they have these, these political bonds. They, they are located in that region. And, and, and of course we can expand it to a state or a nation and so forth. But it's a political entity. Starting locally, of course. The city rejoices. And then there's the blessing. Verse 11, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. So we have joy and we have exaltation. And this is the, the, the effects that believers can have to Austin, to Texas, to the United States. The scripture says this is effective for the political bodies involved. So we need to understand what it's about then. (laughs) How do we bless our nation? How do we bless our city? How do we exalt our city? Is it exalted the way the world defines exaltation? Of course not. And is the well-being here the way the world defines well-being? Of course not. The idea is, of course, is that we have wisdom from above, not the wisdom that's from below. And yet the wisdom that we have from above is is producing effects down here below, right? So we want to... We want to see this for what it is. So, well-being in the context here and throughout Proverbs, what we've seen so far is our spiritual well-being. And we want to, we want to identify this as well. So let's 
Make sure, let's see how it goes both directions, of course, because confusion arises. I think we read this, but we're reading it backwards. We're reading this because we think it's saying the same thing that, that Jeremiah 29 is saying, and it's not. It's saying the opposite of what Jeremiah 29 is saying. And so I want us to see that. I want us to see that it's going both directions and, and, and not to try to read Jeremiah 29 into, into Proverbs 11 or to try to turn Proverbs 11 upside down or force it to say the opposite of what it's saying. So, um, sub-point A then, understand the temporal welfare of the city provides temporal welfare to the just and the unjust. All right? If Austin has a thriving job market, that's going to benefit believers and unbelievers alike. The temporal welfare of the city. Jeremiah 29, 7. And we should be familiar with this. We were here not long ago on Sunday mornings in Jeremiah. It's a verse that we've quoted for years. We've, we've prayed over. We understand it. When, uh, when the Jews were being sent into their captivity, they were told to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So there's a benefit that we should be having in our community, to our government, even if we're slaves, even if we're in a captivity, even if we're Jewish people that aren't allowed to live in Israel anymore and are forced to live in Babylon, even then, we should seek the welfare of the city where, where they placed us. We should be praying on its behalf. We should become, uh, and, and prayer is, is not the totality of it because the seeking is more than the prayer. Contribute towards it. Pursue it. Involve yourself in it. Contribute towards it. Pay your taxes. Vote. Or whatever else you're, you're allowed to do that benefits the community. <clears throat> so seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And here's the explanation. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Right? In its welfare, you will have welfare. So as the city prospers, we benefit. If the city suffers, we suffer. And, and, and it only makes sense, Right? And so whether it's the city or the state or the nation and so forth, we should be seeking the welfare and we can bring this into, the, into our application because we're not captives in Babylon, but we are aliens and strangers, right? So, I mean, there's a parallel there that we can learn from. Um, we should be praying for Texas and the city of Austin and the United States of America. Uh, whatever county you live in, I happen to be across the county line into Williamson County, but I pray for Travis and Williamson both. <laughs> okay, I pray for every county where we have members that live, church members there. <coughs> All right, because as they thrive, we benefit. We want a good job market. We want a good economy. We want lower uh, prices, and we want. All these things. And, and do the unbelievers benefit? Of course, they also do, right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust, Matthew 5.45. All right? And uh, we're not praying in such a way that believers get temporal life prosperity and the unbelievers suffer. How would that even happen? All right? We, we live in the same city they do. We have the same economic conditions they have. The rain does fall on the just and the unjust. And if we fail to pray and things do get worse, that's not on the unbelievers, that's on us. <laughs> remember Sodom was not destroyed because of the number of unbelievers they had there 
They were destroyed because of the number of believers they did not have there. That ten righteous could have saved Sodom, and they didn't have ten righteous. All right, so that's, that's the direction. And we get that. We get that. So that's why we pray for kings and, all, and rulers and all who are in authority, that we may live a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Second Timothy would agree with, with Jeremiah 29 there. And, and so we get this, that as, as, the, as goes the nation, so goes us, the citizens of the nation, politically, economically, safe, in safety, and in all of this, right? That's the direction there, but that's not the direction of Proverbs 11. Because Proverbs 11 is saying, as goes the believer so goes the nation. It's the other way around. As we prosper, we benefit our city, we benefit our nation. It's that blessing by association. Okay, So you see we're talking both directions here? And as far as the city blessing us, is that temporal or spiritual? It's all temporal. It's all earthly, right? That's all the government can provide. That's all that, uh, that God through government provides, ultimately, because government is the tool in God's hands as under the laws of divine establishment. But as government provides, as government secures our liberty, as government fulfills its, its ordained function, then we have order and we have, we have justice and we have economics and we have commerce and we have public safety and we have all of these benefits, which I think sometimes we take too much for granted too, Right? that are missing in a large part of the world, they still exist here. All right. That's what comes that direction. What comes the other direction, though, is the spiritual benefit and the impact we can have spiritually, the well-being that we have here. Again, back to Proverbs 11, then, there's a well-being and there's a blessing. So when it goes well with the righteous, it goes well. This is our well-being. How goes it? Well, right? If it goes well. <clears throat> and this, this is a verse that kind of convicts me because I despise the how are you question. But this is a verse that kind of addresses the how are you question because how does it go? How is it going? Does it go well? When it does go well, with the righteous, the city rejoices. All right? And then the blessings of the upright. We're going to talk about that as well. And then, but and when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. So what's this about? What's the fruit that's born here? What's our benefit? <clears throat> the spiritual life of citizens and politicians. The spiritual life of citizens and especially politicians, but really all citizens. Start with the citizens. I think uh, you won't have politicians with a spiritual life to, to speak of until you have significant citizens with a spiritual life to speak of. The spiritual life of citizens and politicians provides temporal benefit to the population. All right. Proverbs uh, 14:34, as well as the verses that we're looking at here, and then we'll see some verses in Daniel. Daniel 4 and Daniel 6. But we see the benefit that we're providing. So it's going well with us. The city can rejoice. Politically, there is a benefit when believers are doing well. Uh, likewise, verse uh, uh, the blessing. The blessing of the upright. The city is exalted. 
verse 14, there's guidance. And where there's no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. If you've got a concentration of believers that are all in the Word of God in a community, what do you have? You, you have an abundance of counselors, right? You have an abundance of counselors. You're not looking for one smart guy to solve everybody's problems and, and be a political savior. You've got an abundance of counselors. You've got a concentration of believers that are all in the Word of God, that all have divine viewpoint. It kind of becomes a no-brainer in uh, so many things that have to be decided in a, in a neighborhood or in a, in a precinct or in a county or in a city or in a state or in a, in a nation. So there is victory with the abundance of counselors. Over to chapter 14. This gets expanded some more. Chapter 14 and verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And we'll discuss, the, when we get here, I suppose, or we can talk about it now, the, the difference between a nation and a people. Not every people group has a nation. The, uh, the Sioux are a people group. They no longer have a nation. They call themselves the Sioux Nation, but they, uh, they're, they're subservient, they're conquered, they're, they're within uh, the United States of America. They're still a people group. They identify as a people group. They're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, the, the, they've lost their native language. The number of native Sioux speakers is less and less and less and, and continues to, to go that direction. All right? Um, and, and, and so these are the things that happen. Not every people group has a nation. That's part of the discipline upon a people group is when they lose their nation, when their land is, uh, vomits them out and their land is given to another people group and they remain uh, a people group under the sovereignty of a different people group in a nation that, is, that has replaced their nation. This is Texas, no longer Comanche territory. Why is that? All right? And it's not because of uh, colonialism or racism or any other such thing. It's because God in His sovereignty controls these things. Acts 17 says, the appointed boundaries and the times of their habitation. It's the sovereignty of God that directs the course of human history. And so uh, righteousness exalts a nation. If there's a concentration of believers that are living in the Word of God and, and that their personal wisdom has become public wisdom, has become political wisdom, and there is righteousness in that land, the nation will be exalted. This is not just true for the, the covenant nation of Israel. It's not just unique to Old Testament Israel. It applies to any, any Gentile nation can, can apply this with righteousness. When, that long ago was it that we saw Abraham and being all afraid of, of Abimelech? And he said, oh, I thought there was no fear of God in this place. And Abimelech, the, the Philistine, had righteousness. He had uh, more of a fear than Abraham, the Jewish prophet, had. And uh, we've got examples coming up in Daniel. There's examples in, in uh, Genesis as it pertains to Joseph. You know, Pharaoh wasn't a dummy. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of everything. And said, you're the vizier, I'm the pharaoh, and you run the country, uh, and you have authority over everything except me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Pharaoh uh, was very smart in doing that. And by the way, that, uh, Pharaoh fulfilled the typology of God the Father in doing that. Because the Father subjected everything to the Son. Except for the Father. Okay? It's evident that the Father is accepted. 
the one who did the subjection to the son. Anyway, um, Daniel 4.27. So we do provide temporal benefits on the basis of our spiritual walk. Daniel 4.27. All right. Um, In Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and Daniel has to interpret it, but doesn't want to, and and, and, and is not appreciative of what the dream indicates. And he says in verse 19, he says, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. You know, the sad news is, is this dream is about you. And, and the divine discipline that's going to come upon you. And uh, because you're a tree that's about to be chopped down and be given the mind of an animal, and uh, you're going to have to learn humility through this divine discipline until seven years uh, pass over you, or months or weeks, whatever it is, seven periods of time pass over you. And you're going to be driven away from mankind. You're going to live with the animals until you learn right? So verse 25, seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that Most High, El Elyon, is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Now Nebuchadnezzar got saved at the end of chapter 3, and this is why now as a believer he has to be placed under divine discipline. God deals with him as with a son to teach him this humility that he needs to learn. So then the advice um, verse 27 therefore O king my, may my advice be pleasing to you break away now from your sins do you ever tell an unbeliever to stop sinning <laughs> good luck with that all right i mean you're just gonna make them mad you know you might as well tell a dog to stop barking or a cat to stop meowing or a banana tree to quit making those bananas that's what they do all right now an unbeliever is one thing but a believer Someone who names the name of Christ, someone who has eternal life that that uh, now they've got expectations. They've got a father that deals with them as with sons. And we've got obligations as brothers and sisters to come alongside. And we have a duty. In fact, in a local church, we have a duty, see, in uh, our love for one another and in uh, speaking the truth and love and all of this. So may my advice be pleasing in your sight. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. And you'll notice here, this is the spiritual life of a believer that's producing temporal benefit to a population. Temporal benefit to him, first of all, but then to his country through him. And this is uh, it's, it's a vital principle. Think of what we get to do. You know, the city government gets so mad, and they're jealous, and they're and they're they're greedy, and they're and they're um, they, they 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 don't like churches because we don't pay taxes. They're not scarfing up property taxes from this two acres, two point two acres that we have here, and that angers them because they feel entitled to all the tax base that they can scarf up. And, and too many churches, is, is, they view it as stealing their money. 
that because we put a church here instead of a liquor store or whatever, that we're stealing their money. And they're not able to get a tax base from us the way they could from somebody else. See, And besides, there's enough churches in town anyway. That's enough. Just go to one of those other churches. We don't need to start a new one. That's, that's the city's viewpoint. Okay, Failing to recognize, of course, how would they, Okay, that believers thriving in their spiritual walk benefit the city. Benefit the city in powerful ways beyond what the tax dollars can generate. They're going to waste the tax dollars anyway. So they might as well get something better than tax dollars. They might as well get spiritual... The, the spiritually motivated temporal benefit from these believers. Okay? Believers that are growing in the Word of God, believers that are developing divine viewpoint, which, depending on the politics of the government, they may not like too many people with that kind of thinking. But nevertheless, biblical thinking will benefit the community. Over to chapter 6. Now, Daniel himself is in this office. So, uh, at the end of chapter 5, the Babylonian Empire falls. The Persians uh, overthrow it. And and now Darius is appointing satraps. 120 satraps over the entire Persian kingdom. And they, they, they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners. Or the old King James called them presidents. Uh, of whom Daniel was one. And so there's three of them that oversee the 120 satraps, uh, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. So they serve as auditors and checks and balances and they serve to uh, clamp down on the uh, corruption, see. And uh, you limit the corruption and and the the, uh, theft and the stealing uh, so that the king isn't uh, suffering the loss there. And of course, that only works if your if your commissioners aren't also crooked. Okay, if your commissioners are in on the take, then that that becomes a problem too. But but then again, a commissioner on the take, he still has to compete with two other commissioners. So if he is on the take, he better be limited or, or less than or better than the other two commissioners. Okay. Unless all three of them are crooked, then the king is pretty crummy at selecting his commissioners. Um, so then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. He was so spiritually in tune with the Word of God that it produced a benefit in temporal life. And this, 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 this is true even back into chapter 1. Remember when Shadrach, when the, the boys, they went to college? And they were tops of their class? Why is it that being spiritually focused equips you in these temporal life pursuits? You start to think that maybe being a disciple of the Word of God trains your mind to think. And that if you are rightly dividing the Word of Truth, and if you are taking notes, and if you are growing, and if you are you know, a Bible believer, particularly under doctrinal teaching, where you systematically lean to learn and all these things. I, I remember laughing when I got to a particular point in high school and they were teaching us how to outline. I was like, I know how to outline, come on. <laughs> I've been outlining since I was four. Who doesn't know this stuff? You know, because you start outlining doctrine. You start you know, putting these things together. Compare this with that. 
And, uh, and there you go. And so uh, if your spiritual life is on track and God is using you, then you're going to be the best uh, in, in, in these other career fields, whatever they may be, in the secular life pursuits. You're going to have an extraordinary spirit, and they're not going to understand it. But they're going to say, wow, this is going to benefit our company. This is going to benefit our department. This is going to benefit our, our uh, city, or whatever the case may be. And so they noticed that he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. He said, you know, I don't need three, I don't need three commissioners. I just need him. <laughs> I can fire those other two. He can watch all 120 of these satraps, and, uh, and we'll be in great shape. So the commissioners and the satraps, that is the other two, and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Well, gee, why do you think he was faithful? Why do you think he had integrity? Because personal wisdom is becoming public wisdom because he's faithful to the Lord. He has integrity before God. And he's not going to cheat on, on Darius any more than Joseph was going to cheat on Potiphar with Potiphar's wife, right? I mean, they have personal wisdom, they have personal integrity as they're growing in the Word of God, as the Word of God is shaping their thinking, and so they're the best in, in, in government, they're the best in business, they're the best in, in uh, the community, in every, every other pursuit because of that integrity that the Word of God shapes. Now I want to be clear on this. We're talking about believers under teaching, shaped by the wisdom, true disciples. I'm not talking about nominal Christianity. I'm not talking about someone who's saved but not in, under teaching. They're just as bad as the unbelievers. And, and you haven't been... Um, what's a kind word? You haven't been done wrong in a business dealing until you've been done wrong by a Christian in a business dealing who's taken advantage of you because he thought that, well, hey, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, and, and, uh, and they do you wrong. Stab you in the back. And they're not honorable. Because they're nominally, they have, I mean, they're listed in Shepherd's Guide or whatever. They've got a, a fish on, sticker on their door going in. But they're not growing in the Word of God. They're not true disciples. And if you're not renewed by the Word of God, you are worldly. You are conformed to this age. And be expected, if you're dealing with somebody conformed to this age, if they're saved or not saved, they're conformed to this age, they're going to stab you in the back. It's only those that are renewed by the, the, that are transformed by the renewing of their mind, where they have that personal wisdom that becomes the public wisdom that operates with integrity. All right? I want to be clear on that, because I've been hurt by Christians in the past. And uh, that, that uh, say, well, you know, hey, you're a pastor, I'm a Christian, hey, let's, let's do this. Well, can you fix my car or not fix my car? I don't, I'll let unbelievers fix my car if they fix my car. And uh, let's just be honorable and have integrity in our dealings. All right. Um, so there's no, he's faithful. No negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And so these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it 
against him with regard to the law of his God. They say, well, maybe we can use his religion against him. <laughs> and uh, so they, they trump this thing up. All right, so spiritual life of citizens and politicians provides temporal benefit to the population. Sure. I would love to have believers in office, and I believe we do. I'm glad we do. And more than just the fact that they're saved, that they're under teaching, that they're growing. I was so thrilled to learn about Emmanuel Bible Church in Virginia, where uh, when Mike Pence was a senator, his family were members there. And, and I was so thrilled to learn this. Robert Dean uh, knows the pastor there and knew the background of that church and how they teach and, and what they teach. And, and uh, the, the, the whole approach is dispensational and evangelical. And, and, and I think anyone from Austin Bible Church that visited there would be very comfortable there, learning the Word of God and growing and, and adjusted to um, a dispensational view of the Scriptures, knowing the difference between Israel and the church, understanding the imminent rapture of the church, understanding the, uh, the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ on the throne of David, all of these things. And, uh, and I, was, I was very blessed to, uh, to learn that. So maybe he'll go back to that church now that he's vice president. Maybe he'll invite the president. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, you know, I, I want a president under teaching. I want a president that's humble before the word of God. Say. All right. So it's going both directions. There's a temporal benefit that comes from the city to us, but there's also a benefit that comes from us to the city. And we want to be clear on that. Thirdly, believers learn to stand out or lay low (laughs) as political ascendancy or descendancy is manifest. Believers learn to stand out or lay low as political ascendancy or descendancy is manifest. Not everything in these verses is good. In fact, as I get back to Proverbs 11, um, there is the mouth of the wicked. There is the wicked that perish. Uh, There is a circumstance without guidance where the people fall. So, uh, you know, politics is, is either on an upswing or a downswing. It's either on an ascendancy or a descendancy. And typically there's both. Because when one side is rising, what's happening to the other side? It's falling, right. And this is true whether you're talking about Republicans versus Democrats or whether you're talking about Pharisees versus Sadducees. When, when one party was, was on the rise, the other party was on the, on the descent. You want to talk about the Populares or the optimar, uh, Optimates, I think? The, uh, the, the different uh, factions in the Roman Senate, in uh, the Roman Republic, uh, right before it fell, <laughs> became the Roman Empire. All right. I think it's very similar to what we're looking at today in, in, a, in a left-right, and not truly left and right. That wasn't invented until later. But, but still the concept. You've got your, your nobility and your aristocracy and then your common, uh, uh, the, the plebes and the patricians. Okay. So as one is ascending and one is descending, um, is it, it's, you know, it's good to be on the rising side, of course. And it's depressing to be on the losing side, of course. 
but you want it to be good for the right reasons, and you want it to be depressing for the right reasons, and you want to learn how to keep your eyes on the Lord even when it's depressing, and you especially want to learn how to keep your eyes on the Lord when it's exciting, when it's happy. You know? I was really happy to see Tom Price named as the Secretary of Health and Human Services. That was good news. I was happy about that. But I'm not going to take my eyes off the Lord. <laughs> I'm not going to start, uh, you know, uh, getting all excited about, uh, about things that Tom Price is going to do. I've got to keep my eyes on the Lord. Yeah, you're saying, who's Tom Price? <laughs> Congressman from Georgia. All right. Again, back to Proverbs 11. Because um, there's some negative things that happen in these, in these passages as well. Um, what, what if the righteous aren't going well? I mean, when you read verse 10, again, Proverbs 11:10, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. But what if the spiritual life of believers is pretty terrible? What if most people's love has grown cold? What if believers are content with light and fluffy and don't really care for Bible teaching? What if believers are confused between politics or patriotism and and Christianity? Is the city going to rejoice then? Of course not. And likewise, when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting, but what happens when the wicked don't perish? What if the wicked are in charge? What if the wicked just keep hanging on and hanging on and hanging on and hanging on? Yeah, Castro died, but he was 90. You know? Wouldn't it have been better if he'd have died in 1957? Okay? And amazing how you can be a mass murderer and, and people are praising you. Isn't that sad? Calling good evil and evil good? What, a, what an evil man. And yet he's being praised and celebrated. Why? Because well, he stood up to America. He, he, he stood up for the little people. Well, he jailed the little people. He starved the little people. Anyway. Uh, when, the, um, when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. So does this mean we take joy in their death? We're laughing at them? Of course not. But we do acknowledge that the removal of that wicked is a benefit. It is a benefit. And we are thankful to the Lord. We're not gloating. We're not celebrating. We take no joy in the death of the wicked because God takes no joy in the death of the wicked. However, there is a joyful shouting. In what context? How? Where? When? Politically? Culturally? It is a benefit to the, to the society. Anytime a tyrant is uh, cast down. Um, The blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. I haven't even talked about this yet. We can bless. With the mouth we bless. To bless is to speak on favorable terms. When we speak favorably of our city, our community, our state, our nation, what do we accomplish? In the favorable things that we declare, what do we accomplish in our blessings we accomplish a lot. See, when God blesses, of course, the power of sovereignty makes things materialize. When we bless, 
the power of prayer makes things materialize. That in our blessing and in our ask of the Father, God bless America is not just a song, it's a prayer. It's a wish prayer. It's a, it's a, it's a benediction on our part, a blessing on our part. And there is an effect to that. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. You think Austin would be exalted more if we blessed it more? If we prayed on its behalf more? If we approached the Father and just flat out said, Father, um, (laughs) bless the city of Austin, even though uh, 10 out of 10 city council members hates you, (laughs) let's bless them anyway. Actually, I don't know all 10. I have to be fair. There's a couple I don't know. All right. I know the one that was the strongest believer of the ten was just voted out of office. I do know that. And so with his departure, uh, the other nine are pretty happy now that the, the troublemaker's gone. <laughs> and he's a man under teaching. He knows divine viewpoint. And they're happy to see him gone. That's unfortunate. All right. Um, so what do we do? Um, we can bless. We can not be wicked. We can... Um, it can go well with our spiritual life and we can benefit the city there. Um, and then we can provide guidance. When there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. So we can provide that guidance. We can provide that wisdom. We can extend our personal wisdom into public wisdom and we can contribute to the guidance of our community. We can do all of these things. However, if we are on the descendancy if we're being pushed to the side, if, we're, if our influence is being minimized, if we are in a season of darkness, what do we do? We learn how to lie low. We keep our eyes on the Lord, we, keep, we wait for the opportunity, and we lie low. So let's look over, um, see how this connects then in Proverbs 28. In Proverbs 28, Verse 12 says, when the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. All right. So if there is uh, wickedness in political power, hiding is, is a good option. We don't want to come to that attention. Um, there's going to be affliction. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to be, when it is focused upon us, it will be for our harm. It will be for our detriment. We will start to have unjust laws passed. We will start to have unjust expectations. The power of the government will say, you will do this or else. And we face consequences. We either do this or we accept the or else in subjection to the governing authorities that are over us. Okay? Verse uh, 28 of the same context here, same chapter. Not 28. Um, Yes, 28. 28, 28. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. When, when there is a chance for a change of political government, when there is a chance for uh, a believer instead of an unbeliever, a disciple instead of a non-disciple, for righteousness instead of Satanism, of course. Of course. We learn to lie low in the meantime. Over to chapter 29. 
uh, verse 1 says, A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. And so there you have it. This is why biblical Christianity can be applied in any country on this planet. It may not be pleasant. There may be a lot of groaning under, under communism, under capitalism, under socialism, under uh, totalitarianism, under uh, uh, a monarchy or a republic or a democracy or, or any other such thing. A believer can operate, may have some restrictions, may have some concerns, may have some fear, may be hiding, may be underground. If that's what it comes to, that's what it comes to. Uh, Amos 5.13. Man, whoever reads Amos. Amos was famous. Amos 5.13. The book of Amos. All right. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Um, verse 10, they hate him who reproves in the gate they, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. And so, uh, boy, is this current events or is this, uh, <laughs> is this, uh, 700 years before Christ? Um, you know, um, if 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 uh, if if the street is in an outrage, why is that? If if they're hostile to authority, why is that? And if they have good reasons, they have good reasons. If they don't have good reasons, I mean, why is that? Why are they not subject to the governing authorities? And uh, and and why do they? What objection do they have with public integrity? It's no more valid than those other satraps and, and commissioners that didn't like Daniel and his integrity. You don't, you don't, uh, if they're not corruptible, what, what's your beef with them? Why are you so upset? All right, therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. And so here's the thing, and you have um, inequities, we have a, a corrupt economic system here, and this is what Amos is preaching against. And the problem is, is that they can't get the, the, the corrupt leaders to go with them, right? So they want to impose heavy rent, they want to exact a tribute of grain, they want to be able, they want to, in, through their corruption, they want to they thrive, and if the little people get hurt, oh well, the little people get hurt. They don't like the fact, though, that there's, they're getting reproved in the gate. <laughs> the courts are striking them down. Their business practices are being, are being uh, ruled, uh, ruled against. Okay? And, uh, and so, yeah, you'll have uh, crooked businessmen, sure. If you, and, and they only get away with it, though, if you have the crooked politicians that are in bed with them. All right? That's why they don't like the him who reproves in the gate. He's telling them no. 
he's, 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 they're, they're, uh, they're losing uh, judicially and uh, abhorring him who speaks with integrity. How can you abhor integrity? You should embrace integrity. God abhors the, the uh, opposite of integrity. He embraces integrity. All right. And so uh, business is at odds with government here, and they're not liking it. Uh, anyway, they're going to be dealt with. Amos is preaching against them and, and against the, uh, against the uh, inequities here, the unfair practices, because God is the God of justice. All right, uh, so you will not live in them. Uh, you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent for it is an evil time. See, what happens when they finally wear them down when the bribes finally start get accepted, the poor start getting turned aside on the gate. I think there's a transition from verse 10 to verse 12. Then in verse 10, there's the rebuke. In verse 12, the bribe finally overcame it. All right? And the crooked men have now, the crooked businessmen have now brought about crooked government, crooked uh, justice. And uh, so what's the, what's the little person going to do? He's going to keep silent. He's going to trust in the Lord. Okay? For it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And so a remnant can stay faithful. A remnant of believers can stay true to the word of God. A remnant of believers can, can ask God to restore righteousness in government, righteousness in business practices, righteousness in community. Because until he, he provides for that, what time are we in? It is an evil time. At such a time, the prudent person keeps silent. And so such a time, like such a one, such a time comes and goes. Such a time, understand it for what it is. Is this such a time? What is this such a time? You know, when um, they came to arrest Jesus in, uh, in Gethsemane, and uh, Peter grabs a sword, and, you know, it's just it, it's nuts, right? There's Peter, single-handed. Like, he knows how to use a sword. I mean, he's, he's a fisherman. I, I don't know. Maybe he had some kind of training. But um, anyway, one guy with a sword, and here's all these soldiers, a cohort that was sent to arrest Jesus. And... Uh, but anyway, Jesus makes a statement there. He says, this hour and the power of darkness are yours. He allows himself to be arrested. He knows the time. He knows the such a time. He knows the circumstances. He knows what the Father has permitted. This hour and the power of darkness are yours. And I think of that expression, I think it connects here very well. Such a time, at such a time, a prudent person keeps silent. The evil time that we need to have discernment. If we're if we're truly walking like you know shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves, we need to know the time in which we live. We need to know. See, I mean, we knew in the sheriff's department when the when the lesbian sheriff was elected, 
that there was it was a time to be lay low. <laughs> it was a time to be to be quiet, and and because there's a whole spectrum of a, a network of officers and sergeants and lieutenants and captains and uh, and and majors all within the whole the whole organization. And in their ascendancy, it got it got rough. In their ascendancy, um, I mean, promotions everywhere, and, and increasing in power, and all the control, and all of the everything. That was a, it was a, it was not of, of the four sheriffs I worked for. That was the toughest one. So you learn to you learn to lay low. You learn who's in charge, and you realize you know what there would be no authority except from God. If they're in charge, God put them there. He allowed them to be there. There is a reason for it. It's either for blessing or it's for cursing, and, and it doesn't take too much work to figure out which one it is. Okay? That is, if passages like this and the Word of God shape your thinking. If not, then you think Castro's a hero and you get all confused in your politics. Okay? Now, it goes even beyond that. When we are blessed to participate, then additional blessings are bestowed. Then you get grace upon grace. Not only do we have citizens that are, that are affecting culture, but then, now we have political leaders that are affecting culture. And so when we come back to this next week, we'll see the role of, of Mordecai in, uh, in Persia, and we'll see the role of Joseph in Egypt, and we'll see the, the opportunities there. It was very rare in Bible times, to have such a, 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 a disciple, a mature believer with doctrine that was in political office. Uh, Maybe more uh, uh, prevalent in our day and age because we live in, in the most unique nation that's ever been on the face of this earth. A nation of the people. Right? And uh, that's never never existed before as a representative republic of the people. And we can participate. We, we can run for office ourselves if we want to. We can put believers in all kinds of offices if we want to, if God puts us there. What, what opportunities might we have in those circumstances? So we'll talk about that next week as well. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this time in your word. Father, uh, we just rejoice in how faithful you are. I thank you that your truth shapes our thinking in our business practices, in our political life, and in uh, our uh, work choices and our housing arrangements and just everything, Father. It's just so practical. We can have personal integrity, personal wisdom that becomes public wisdom in, uh, in every facet of life. So continue to shape our thinking. Might our well-being benefit um, our, our nation. And I do thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.